Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb. And we have an interesting show because Wizards decided to hype up this big announcement. And Brian hyped the hype to me and was like, yo, we should wait for this big announcement. And I was like, ooh, well, if it's as big as you say it is, then then I'm going to wait. And and here we are. Look, I'll take a little bit of this heat, but I I wasn't trying to overhype the announcement. I'm just saying if something's coming down the pipeline, we don't know how big it's going to be. And in my defense, I think they hyped this up and they had this announcement up really big. I think they made it sound via media messaging like it was going to be a lot. And it kind of was like, honestly, if if it wasn't a hyped announcement, I would be way more excited about it because it's pretty good for just like your run of the mill set announcement stuff. I just thought maybe there's a little bit something more going on that we could maybe have a really interesting show about. But instead, you'll have to take our usual not that interesting show this week as we talk about uh, some of the new reveals we got today. So to be clear, I don't think it is your fault for hyping the thing because they hyped it first, which kind of got you hyped because you thought it was going to be a thing that directly correlated to your interests. Yeah, well, I think what happened here was that they said it was going to be like a legendary cast and they were just intimating that this is like the summer of legends or something. That's what their official branding is. And that made me think like it was actually going to be legendary, like there's going to be exciting things for magic coming down the pipeline here. Um, So maybe a little bit of misunderstanding on my part slash not the clearest messaging, but ultimately no harm, no foul. We got to see some new sets. I, I still think we have an interesting show that we can talk about. New cards, which is always our favorite thing to do here on the Arena Deckless podcast. Brian, there's a legendary dragon. What more do you want? Uh, a playable dragon is what I want. Legendary alone does not do it for me. Uh, playable is contextual. So it depends on what format you're talking about, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Uh, playable for me. How's that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also not playable for me, but I'm sure that there are a lot of people that are excited about it. Anyway, this announcement to summarize was about Modern Horizons 2, uh, the D&D core set, uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realm, and uh, about local game stores in the U.S. reopening on May 28th. Mm. You want to start there? I would I would love to slash not love to. Yes. Okay. The the first thing I thought of was that that seems early. That's that's very soon. And it's 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 gonna be hit or miss depending on your area and how seriously people take it and all of that sort of stuff. It seems weird to just do like a blanket United States like, yo, we're cool now, right? Yeah, I don't know what else they're supposed to do, though, honestly. Like, I think in their defense, they did a good job of being like, obviously, local precedent overwhelms all of this. But it's kind of going back to if you think about how our cast started last week and uh, the messaging you're putting forth and being conscientious about that messaging and making sure people are still protected. Like, there's this weird balancing act we're going to do for the next uh, forever, I think, of, uh, you know, what is actually safe. And it's weird who we're looking to for direction, but things like this, and I'm not talking about this one announcement, I'm talking about these things 
in combination with each other. So you can go back to the game store and your local baseball stadium is letting people in again and restaurants are back to full capacity and all these things together, like create this image that things are good and things are safe and things are getting safer. Uh, Our numbers as they stand now would be like unfathomable if you go back 10 months and disastrous, but we've just grown used to living under this specter of this horrible disease. So uh, it's going to be up to us to make informed decisions. I, I felt like it was a little early. I don't see myself immediately returning to play magic uh, come this date. Your mileage may vary. I'm a little older, a, a little overweight. I have some breathing issues. I am going to be fully vaccinated by that point. But to me, I am pretty happy to just continue gathering in small places with people I know to be vaccinated, people I know who are safe. And that's going to be my approach. Uh, I I basically mirror your approach. So, okay. uh, I mean, I get it. I have, I've been like hardcore quarantining basically the entire time. Yeah. So I understand certainly like people's want and need really to, you know, get out and see people and whatever. But there are there are definitely better ways to do it than just like showing up to FNM. So uh, I would recommend that, you know, people don't engage in that sort of stuff unless you're like 100 percent sure that like your group is good and your area is good. Your, your store is being good about everything. But even then, it's still just like, do you, do you have to do this? And the answer is almost certainly no. So. Yeah, and but there's there's good context though. Like over in our chat, uh, Cam is mentioning like if the United States is determined to reopen and they're just like, yeah, restrictions are done, do whatever you want. Then it, it does seem fairly silly for Wizards to be like, yeah, but you can't have F and M. Like you can you can go. Everyone's back in school, and we we've opened this. So I think in a lot of these cases, I'm going to direct my ire like one of the things i did early in the pandemic was i would get real angry at the people who i felt weren't taking things seriously or like as seriously as i was and as time went on i kind of started to change my opinion and i i stopped being angry at them and started being at being angry at the system that left them in a place where you know they were still going being asked to go to work and still being asked to uh you know put themselves at, in harm's way for the health of the economy. And then we're saying, but make sure you definitely do not see your friends ever under any circumstances, but definitely go to work. I have to get groceries. So go do that. But do not see anyone else. Do not leave your house under any other circumstances. Like that's messed up. There, there really should have been a more focused effort on providing for the entirety of everyone. So I, I think the same thing is going on here to some extent. If there is blame to be placed for reopening too early, it probably doesn't fall on Wizards. It probably falls on like the broader approach to what's happening here in the US, which has always been kind of laissez-faire. And I I think it continues to be that way. But maybe this is the right time to actually start doing those things. I mean, vaccines are making a difference, and I hope they continue to. Yeah, I mean, that that's definitely legit. Uh, You know, we should definitely note that while they're like, okay, you can play FNM, it isn't like, oh, we're also starting to run Grand Prix or whatever, there was not any announcement along those lines, you know, so I don't think that they're being especially reckless or, or anything like that, but it's just like, yeah, I guess, I guess what can you do if, if everything else is like technically opening up, right. Uh, they, they could 
say that you can't hold FNM and people would just like run tournaments anyway. But <laughs> one of the things I've I've said about this entire pandemic is there's going to be a and there has been a bunch of solutions where you're like or there's a bunch of situations where you're like, actually, there's no good solution to this. Like, there's no right answer. Someone is going to be wrong, regardless of the position they espouse. And I try and just like, find the most informed sources and let them dictate my behavior and then lean towards over cautiousness rather than under cautiousness and like, good risk reward behaviors. Like there is actual zero risk for me to continue wearing a mask, I will keep doing it forever because it doesn't cost me anything. Yep, so same. why not just do that? That's That's always been my approach through all of this. I, I guess my issue with it was like, you know, they, they just kind of glossed over it with like, oh, local regulations still apply and stuff, but there wasn't any real advice on their end, right? So it's like, they're like, all right, we're, we're doing this and it's, it's kind of out of our hands, do whatever you want. Right. So you would have liked a little bit more cautiousness in the statement, just like this is open, but make sure, right. you know, we, we recommend you be fully vaccinated or, you know, and, and maybe they are and... working with stores for that sort of stuff. But again, like it does come down to messaging where, mm -hmm. I don't know, I obviously like people were just kind of being ridiculous in the chat or whatever, but you know, there were people yep. that were just like, Oh, yep. F and M we, we can play F and M therefore COVID's over or whatever you heard it here first. And it's just like, see, like even when you don't go hard on that messaging, then like people are going to make those jokes and then some people are going to take it seriously. And just, right. it's, it's all crap. There, there's also just the circumstance too. And I think we were the ones feeling this for a long time. Like things are really bad in some parts of the world, you know, India in particular being in just a disastrous situation right now. Right. And they're seeing announcements like this. It's, it's frustrating because we were the ones in that same spot, right? Like we saw our friends in Europe back in stores and back doing things or, you know, whether you go to Australia or New Zealand, where things have been pretty well managed, or in Asia, where things have often been pretty well managed, and they got back a lot of things that we didn't have access to at that point in time. And you remember the pain of just being like, why can't we get this under control globally? Why can't we do this collectively and care for everyone? Yeah, instead, I just remember being like, wow, you know, like, you know, Japan has their stuff under control, right? Like, right. It, it looks pretty good. And like, I am I am happy for them and proud of them, right? But yeah, it, it does it does suck for everyone everywhere that things are this bad because there are places who have shown that it it didn't necessarily have to be. So right, 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 right. Okay, I'm, I'm anyway. sick of this. It's it's saddening, and I I hope everyone's doing okay. I hope things are getting better for everyone. And uh, let's talk about Wizarding Squares instead for a little bit. Wizarding Squares. Yes. Okay. Uh, MH two or D and D. MH2 to start. Uh, that's That seemed to be the bulk of this announcement, and it seemed to be the part that generated the most hype. I think they did lean into the Modern Horizons announcement a little bit more, which makes sense since it's the one uh, closest to launch at this point. So they pushed back uh, release by a week, which is cool. That's, mm -hmm. that's fine with me. They cited COVID as concerns. Uh, May 20th begins weekly mtg reveals but it says may 24th as previews begin i'm not sure what the difference of that is oh weekly mtg just refers to like their show right so like they're gonna do something but then previews begin on the 24th yeah I, that's how i read that and then the, the usual way of having content creators preview stuff would begin on the 24th right okay so uh june 3rd available on magic online june 18th worldwide release uh there are mh2 pre-releases live uh, you know, be safe, help everyone else be safe. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is coming at us quick. 
Yeah, and this is the big one, right? I mean, Modern Horizons, maybe the most polarizing set in Magic's history, even like upon release and even to this date. I think there's a lot of people who they have kind of rewritten the narrative about how exciting Modern Horizons was. I mean, it was a set that we were absolutely over the moon about. We couldn't wait for. We were excited to talk about uh, its long term impact on the modern format was bad. I think I, I'm, I'm not sure you could make uh, another argument. I think it really destabilized the format for a long time. It missed the mark in a lot of places. And it also felt like it sort of opened the door for every single set after Modern Horizons to just be Modern Horizons. Like they were all Modern Horizons. So then you ask, well, if every set's Modern Horizons, what the heck does Modern Horizons 2 have? Like they didn't want to save Uro for Modern Horizons 2. Oko was fine for Standard. So what can possibly be in Modern Horizons 2 if the goal was to make cards that were too powerful for Standard? The funny thing to me is that the novelty for MH1 made a lot of sense where there are things like Season Pyromancer that wouldn't necessarily make their way into a Standard set, but do actually do good things for Modern, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, wow, this this looks really cool. This is a good idea. And then there's a way to get, you know, potential older reprints into modern. So as a vehicle makes a lot of sense. But yeah, when you start printing Okos and Uros in standard that then also destabilize modern, it's like this set just lost a lot of novelty, right? I think so. But I mean, we also have to give credit where credit's due. The last few standard sets seems like things are toning down again certainly trending back in a more reasonable direction we never know exactly the timing of when this stuff is happening so i don't know i mean maybe we have some idea because we know when some people went to work on modern horizons too um and it, it was i think after things started getting pretty messed up in standard if i recall correctly so with all of that information you hope that maybe a little bit was taken off this set uh, as we got closer to the release and are are not headed for a another just total upheaval of the format. And we got our first look at new cards today. So we can kind of start to assess that. Although obviously just seeing a few pieces, if you think about our first previews from uh, Modern Horizons 1, I think they were Cabal Therapist and Sarah. Is that correct? I, oh yeah, the first two cards. Yeah, I think yeah. That's, those, that was the first reveal. And yep. our take at the time was like, mm, these cards probably aren't going to see that much play or should we, be, should we be concerned about this set? Is this just going to be a total miss? Right. Uh, I, the answer was no, turns out. If, if what they were doing around this time frame was, uh, you know, just sort of like lowering power level across the board, then it's like, well, how, how is this set going to sell? Well, there are fetch lands in the set. Yeah. So that certainly helps, especially since I I don't keep track of like every single card price or whatever, but I know that Vernon Catacombs is like $80 right now. So, I think all of these cards are pretty expensive right now. Yeah, uh, so that certainly helps. Uh, they did mention during the their live stream that there was going to be a little bit more of a focus on uh, cards, you know, being reprinted. Uh, you know, that that are not in modern already. And like one of the examples they gave was just literal counter spells. So it's like, hey, maybe maybe stuff like that is exciting enough to sell the set. Uh, Sanctum Prelate is the buy a box card, which was previously a commander card. And like this card is obviously very good. One dub dub, two two, human cleric. Uh, as it enters the battlefield, choose a number, non-creature spells with the mana value equal to the chosen number can't be cast. It's like that would probably see some play, right? 
Oh, I have to assume so. I mean, heavily played in Legacy, where the converted mana cost does seem to be a tend to be a little bit na- more narrow. But also, if you look at Modern recently, I think those numbers have tightened up quite a bit. And even when the numbers aren't super tight, there's often a key number that you can really go after. Like if you're going after Primeval Titan numbers, that's pretty appealing. And I, I just think this card has to have some impact. It's one of the stronger white cards in Eternal formats. It seems like it should be a hit here as well. Yeah, human also, which of certainly helps its cause. Of course. What about Counterspell, Ryan? I have said for a while, this was around Modern Horizons 1, I think this is a completely safe card to have in Modern. I think it's very good. I'm not saying it won't have an impact, but when you look at everything surrounding it, I, I just don't think it's out of whack. It's not out of balance. It's completely acceptable. Uh, Force of Negation is a better card. That card exists in the format already. Uh, certainly, there's like different context for those two cards. They're not exactly the same. But I think giving people Counterspell is the correct move. I think incentivizing more controlling playstyles is good. I'd be more concerned about like Force of Will or one mana Counterspells than I am about Counterspell because then you can do proactive things with it and protect like uninteractive play. But Counterspell generally plays pretty fair. It doesn't usually back up really busted things. And I think incentivizing that style of play for Modern is a very good look. Yeah, I, I'm certainly glad that Mystic Sanctuary is gone yes. with this card. Yes, being for sure. That is a big caveat. I, I should have said that. So with with those two things in mind, I am excited to see how it plays out. I like from from building and playing various blue decks. I think the last one I played was when Luris uh, didn't have the companion nerf, mm-hmm. and I built a blue, blue black, black control. Con- yeah, blue black control yeah. joined a league very easily five zero and was like, yeah, this is busted. And it was just uh, a bunch of counter spells and Mistress Bobbles and uh, Mystic Sanctuaries, and you kill them with like your one Luris, and if they kill that, you have Unearth or whatever to get it back. And that that sort of game plan felt unfair, at least at the time. And between things like Mana Leak, Drown in the Lock, Logic Nod, it's just like these cards aren't legitimately counterspell, but there are enough things that you know, kind of fill that role to the point where this this is going to have an impact for sure because this like solidifies that your your mana leak will actually do something on turn eight or whatever. But it, fundamentally, in the early games, which is more of what modern's about, this isn't yeah. much of a difference. Yeah, perfectly said, and uh, I'm excited for this to arrive. I guess too, we we skipped over what's going to be a really important part of this set for a lot of people: uh, old borders. Now. I have to point out that we went, I mean, I don't even know how long. I'm I'm going to guesstimate 14 14 years or so. Yeah, I was going to say everything is 15 years. That's what it feels like at this point. Sure, 15 years works for me. We went 15 years with no old borders. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. We're all clamoring for it. Time spiral hits. Absolutely love it. Everyone's over the moon about these old borders. And then like two, two sets later, they're back. That's all it took, two sets. And then we're ready to go back to the well. And obviously the reaction is still there. Uh, people seemed very excited about these old border fetch lands. And I like them too. I, I think they're cool. Uh, I think they're pretty. I think in foil, they'll probably look spectacular. And I am concerned that I may get talked into buying them because I, I have very basic versions of fetch lands right now. 
and you know that's not my MO. Um, but this is going back to the well really soon, right? And like that's kind of a very Watsy thing at this Look, stage. Look, they they could not have done Time Spiral or bo- Old Borders, waited to see how it did, and then Scott decide whether or not the they're going to do it on this, right? Right, so, they already knew. Yeah, they already knew. And what was the discourse around the Time Spiral, the Old Borders? Were, weren't they, wasn't there like a lot of pushback? I don't, I thought they were pretty universally praised, no, I mean, but. I mean, internally, internally. That I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't recall seeing any discussion on that. Okay. I, I vaguely remember seeing like, oh, it, it took like a lot of arguments to actually get them to consider making them or whatever. And then uh, in, in the live stream, Blake said like, oh yeah, we knew that people were going to love them or whatever. And then it's like, I mean, I guess with these coming so quickly off of Time Spiral that, yeah, that was probably the assumption towards the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it is funny that it took so long for these to kind of get made as and I guess there were judge promos, right? So it's not like yeah. there was a, a hard no the entirety of, of those 14 or 15 years or whatever. But yeah, it is it is weird to see the, the discourse change so rapidly. You know, it's, it's whiplash. Yeah, uh, a really swift adjustment. And I just hope it doesn't get played out. I think that you're already seeing that to some extent with like the full art stuff. Like the first time it showed up, jaws dropped everyone over the moon couldn't wait for it now it's just expected we assume there will always be full art versions of this stuff and you and i i don't i don't remember what we were doing but we were looking at buying some cards the other day and we were just like going around uh searching for prices and we put in like a card name a a recent card too like a card printed in the last four or five years and look at the versions and there's like nine or 10 versions of some of them. And it's, it's just silly and overkill at some point where you just have version after version after version. And we've talked here on the show about like the variant cover problem with comic books and how things can't always be collectible just because you say they're collectible. And at some point we will cross that threshold. I don't think this is it. Obviously if you pay attention uh, the entire game of collecting is extremely hot right now in all facets not just magic cards but pokemon cards and so many other things people are just into collecting right now and there's a lot of interesting things to be said about us as a society moving more towards a digital age and people having a desire to hold something again like you can look at the rise of vinyl and and its rebirth or even the expansion of i don't know if expansion is the right word but even the relative non-affected nature of paper books which if you really want to be i don't know kind of utilitarian about it digital books are just better like you you can put 10 million of them in one tiny book it glows in the dark everything's perfect about them you can see it really clearly there's no reason why we shouldn't necessarily prefer having our kindle or whatever ebook reader we use but i know i still buy regular books and i vastly prefer them to that digital experience just in a lot of ways just because the tactile nature of it and so i I think wizards is a good wizards is doing a good job cashing in at that at this moment uh but that has a shelf life and it will fall off at some point yeah it's it is interesting i mean it seems like people are still interested in the extended art and the old borders and i'm i'm among those people but it's it's more so like well 
if there is a card or section of cards that I want cool versions of, it makes sense for those to exist because, you know, someone's going to want them. Fetchlands certainly fall under that category. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing like half a set in extended art, it's like then it loses some of its luster, you know? Yeah, I also have no idea what exists anymore. Like, I don't know what the available versions of a particular card are. I'm often shocked to see new versions of a card that I didn't know what existed. And uh, I am a very plugged in Magic player. So I, I can't imagine how Magic was already an overwhelming game. And in some ways, I actually think they're, they're right to just say, look, this game will always be overwhelming. And that's what people love about it. So lean into it. You're never going to make it completely accessible and grokkable. Just it is what it is. I, I buy that reasoning to some extent, but uh, it's, it's just a lot. It's a lot. That's the only way to phrase it. So for a couple of days, I went down this rabbit hole where I was building a new Canadian Highlander deck, mostly just to, to goldfish because I had not held magic cards in so long. Mm -hmm. And in that span of time, I was also like, hey, Brian, fight me in Gladiator. <laughs> yes. And, and what was my response? Which, you're just like, what is that? Yes. Uh, but it, it's uh, basically Canadian Highlander on Magic Arena. And then you brought up the excellent point of like, I don't have the wild cards for that. Like historic has bled me dry or whatever. And uh, I'm in the same spot. So we're probably not going to fight Gladiator anytime soon. But anyway, one of the cards that I was looking to see if there was an extended uh, version of was expressive iteration and there just isn't yeah i i just bought this one as well and you're right i was like i need a flashy version of this there isn't one you could just get a foil one or like the pre-release one exists i guess which is a little flashier but there's not the typical full text version yeah this is one of those cards where it's like oh yeah i mean it it's gotta exist i'm not sure that it exists but i guess i'll look it up and and, and try and get it and it was like wait this doesn't but then there are so many other cards where i'm just like wait why does this exist so. I, I was quite yeah, shocked yeah. to find that as well. Yeah, uh, that card seen a, a lot of play too. Not necessarily in standard, but I think that you know folks have not had a whole lot of reason to actually work on standard. But I've seen yeah. it in a lot of historic decks and some modern decks. It'll, it'll get its chance in standard. It's a very good card. Last card from MH2 that was previewed is Weird as Hell. Agree, disagree. Well, there's two more cards, but I do agree the card you're about to talk about is weird. There are two cards? Yeah, it's, it's not here on the website, actually. Oh. Uh, I don't know if you watched the full video or not, but they, they definitely skipped it on the website. It's uh, Lion's Eye Diamond equivalent oh, in creature okay. form. Yeah, I forgot about that one. We're going to have to give some incomplete information on it because it, it, it isn't here. So let's talk about that real quick since we're already talking about it. Uh, if I recall correctly, it, it was... It was a two, two mana, two, two. Two mana, two, two. Uh, artifact creature, creature type cat. Uh, someone just posted it over in our Discord. It's called Diamond Lion. Uh, artifact creature. Oh, there's two cards we missed, actually. Thank you. Thank you, chat, for posting these. The one we're talking about now is Diamond Lion. It's a rare 2-2 two, two for 2. Artifact creature cat. Oh. Tap, discard your hand. Sacrifice Diamond Lion. Add three mana of any one color. Activate only as an instant. So obvious Lion's Eye Diamond. Call out Gerald. Any thought Look, on that these, one? these are like the Maguses, right? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Basically, and... Magus of, Magus of the Lion's Eye Diamond. Some of those ended up being kind of good and kind of cool, but mostly these things are worse when you put them on creatures. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, Lion's Eye Diamond is like, yeah, zero mana spell, you get three mana. This one is two mana, suspend, you have to untap with it. 
etc right so it's just it's so awkward and so weird i think that if there is i don't know some affinity or urza deck uh that could also utilize something out of the graveyard like maybe they're playing uh echo of aeons or on burial rites or some weird thing like that it's like okay maybe but i don't know led was a combo card right i don't know what you're really doing with this yeah asking this to survive is just a lot that's not to say i don't think this has potential to do something it's just a very limited potential and you have to be all in on this idea of like could also just be an activated ability right is there like a good land or or creature that you could just pump with this thing you know it's a good question uh i i think it's interesting when you think of it in the unburial rights context because it also pitches your hand so if, if you had a really good unburial rights target like this is kind of the whole the whole setup so all you really need to do is just be able to untap with this thing but that's asking a lot I mean, that's, yeah. that's not necessarily easy especially in a format like modern where the removal is pretty efficient and pretty widely played at this point like there's there's good incentives especially right now i think modern is having a moment where again creatures matter a lot including niv magus elemental of course um, so you're super incentivized to play early removal on it. It'll it'll be hard for Diamond Lion to get any real foothold Brian, in that scenario. Brian, didn't you learn your lesson? Why did you buy more Niv Megas Elementals? I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> I, I why? I think like, well, I think I like was just looking at cards generally, and. I saw the price and I'm like, this is too low. It shouldn't cost that little. Like, there's no way this card can continue to be. There's one printing of Niv Magus Elemental. If this is a modern staple, it can't be a 50 cent card. It cannot be. It's not possible for that to stay at 50 cents. There are too many good cards in RTR though, right? It's a powerful set for sure. But like uh, 50 cents just it doesn't work like it has to be worth more than that and you know what jerry it really doesn't if, have to be worth more. but listen even if i'm correct it doesn't freaking matter because i'm just going to put them in a box somewhere and i'm not going to sell them I, I never sell anything i just accumulate these things so what's more likely going to happen is that like i'll carry them around and give them to people and it'll be fun and for whatever i paid for them 20 dollars or whatever for 40 niv magus elementals it was definitely worth it I mean, all you have to do is stay in a hotel with Austin Cook, and he'll probably just give you enough. That of is them. true. You'll just you'll leave with enough of them in your suitcase that you wouldn't even have to buy them. Just have to be in his general vicinity, and I'll I'll be stocked up. Yeah. All right, last card that I forgot about, uh, and I actually like this card. I poo pooed on the line a little bit. I, I like this card, but hate it. If that makes sense. Brainstone, okay. one generic commander for an artifact, two tap. Sack this, draw three cards, and then put two cards from your hand on top of your library in any order. Uh, I think this card is quite good. Uh, as a longtime veteran of the Magic Eternal scene, anytime I see an artifact that costs one, I, I start getting nervous. That's just how I am. There's, there's a lot of things that combine really well with one mana artifacts. The first thing that comes to mind is like Emery sort of messed up with brainstone in a lot of ways uh you're gonna get real deep into your deck rebuying those brainstones i don't know if you can make that a deck in and of itself but it's a good starting place and the fact that this is also making your emery pretty cheap isn't that's, that's not any loss either so i am very interested to see what this card can do i think there's a lot of ready-made homes for it and, and there's one card in particular that being emery that is 
thrilled to see this arrive. And we know the type of friends Emery can bring to the party. There's Urza shenanigans and there's like Bonder or Kin and Bonder prodigy things you can look to do. Although that's more of a historic thing. But Underworld Breach too. Underworld Breach is a great point. Are you a little surprised they didn't just put Modern Horizons 2 on Arena? Uh, n- yes and no. Okay. It just kind of seems like free money. Like you already made the set. So the work is done and now it just has to be programmed. And I have M- to imagine the return of. MH1 had a lot of keywords, right? Yeah. It would okay. be like putting that's, time that's spiral on it. Yeah. Okay. That, that's maybe enough reason to talk you off the set. At least like. It would, it would be like, you know, quote unquote free money, right? They would have to do all the work, of course. Yeah. Maybe it's a future thing. Maybe they felt they didn't have to do it now and they can wait till, uh, you know, the rules engine is handling all this stuff a little better because there's weird stuff and, and there's one card left if we're going to get into weird stuff. So, oh, okay. As far as Brainstone is concerned, I like it in decks that are trying to utilize artifacts. This is not good as a fair card. I just want to explicitly state that. Is it still fair if you're playing it alongside Emery? That's, that's not fair. No, right? no, no, no. Okay. I just mean just like, sure. I just mean like, oh, people like Brainstorm and Historic, right? Should we just put this in our modern blue control decks? The answer is no. Hell no. Right. Uh, but uh, certainly it being a one mana artifact that just kind of chills until you're ready to, you know, do something with it is pretty nice. And those decks could really benefit from a Brainstorm because they usually have a bunch of kind of like do nothing artifacts in them, yeah. right? Just like sculpting your hand is usually pretty good. Uh, obviously, they're a fetch land, so that's pretty trivial. So uh that card will see play less yeah, less I, sure about the lion the, the value of just having a one mana artifact on the battlefield is usually pretty large for these decks be it like it making urza mana or a, a myriad of other uses reducing costs on things with affinity there there's always some way to get paid for just having this thing sit on the battlefield all right last card for realsies urza's saga which is an enchantment land and also a saga Chapter 1, Urza Saga gains tap, add colorless. That's permanently. Chapter 2 is, this gains 2 tap, create a 0-0 colorless construct, artifact, creature, token, with this creature gets plus 1, plus 1 for each artifact you control. Chapter 3, search your library for an artifact card with mana cost 0 or 1, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. It is, I had to think about why it was specifically worded this way zero or one mm-hmm. and it's just lotus bloom right like mm-hmm. you just had to not do one or less because of that or i yeah. guess like colored artifacts maybe but yeah there, there's probably a few ways this can get messed up uh if you're not super restrictive with the mana cost and I'm, it, look it might be messed up with the super restrictive mana cost uh but I, I get why this is a very specific wording on the mana cost actual zero or actual one not uh what is mana value zero or one right so all right live chat what is the most busted thing you can get with this locket of yesterday's great (laughs) we did it all right i'm not scared i'm no longer scared yeah i mean for modern we're we're talking in the context of modern set obviously getting like literal black lotus uh is is a thing but that that takes a while i don't know yeah, it's a, it's a little slow, and oh. you are giving up a land, right? Amulet, Brian. Kirby Silver yeah. says, or Kirby yeah, Silver yeah. says Amulet. That, that crossed my mind. I, I don't know if this is exactly what Amulet wants to do, but 
Maybe. Uh, dude, it's, I it's think possible. that's good. You I think, think so? that is I think that's legit good. Interesting. Playing playing a land down is a little weird, but maybe like you have enough control over your timing that this is actually just legit good because you are able to reset when you need to with bounce lands. And like this plays your turn one amulet, so it, it still enables your best play. And then next turn, if you have to bounce it at that point, you're okay with it. Or you just use it to set up for that future huge turn. Like you're when you have double amulet, you can go off from a very low base. You really don't require much at all. So Oh no, we we have some folks mentioning lantern of insight could be i i could see that i mean that's, that's like that's legitimately a, good too a very good card in the deck this will also do a good job of finding some pretty good uh hate spells like you can find your tormod script reliably sure. you can find your pithing needle reliably i i think that's worth paying attention to like the whole thing here is being set back a land drop when you go to step three of the saga and so and decks bear that and i think a lot of decks can in modern amulet amulet fundamentally cares and does not care right? right like if you don't have an amulet and you just have to naturally get to titan obviously having six mana matters a lot but when you have amulet and, and always have it because your stupid land got it for you yeah it, it does change things a little bit uh i mean this is this is like pretty reliable turn three stuff right it it very well could be uh the difference to having an amulet and not having an amulet, as any amulet player knows, is night and day. That's why the deck is called amulet. So it's it's gonna see uh, it's gonna get a look, it's gonna get some play, and I think that is like the most facially obvious spot for it. And it's probably gonna do some degenerate things. I mean, it's a very good tutor, like very good tutor at no cost. Yeah, and I mean for decks that are doing stuff with uh colorless mana, I mean this is this is not ideal in a lot of those scenarios because it's not the land that you necessarily want to play on turn one for like eldrazi tron for example right like you'd rather lead with a tron land or maybe an eldrazi temple or something but mm -hmm. in in the context like you said of you know finding like a, a hate card or something then you want to play this probably as quickly as possible so you can get a turn three tormont script or relic against dredge but as like a value card in urza or something i could see this not in big numbers or whatever, and probably not trying to play it on turn one, but right. playing it in the mid game seems okay. Yeah, interesting. I, this is the most fun card, I think, thus far, because it has us already puzzling over these things. And I, I will say this. Here's the thing about Modern Horizons and what was ultimately the thing about Modern Horizons 1. When you're doing the deck building for this set, it's going to be awesome. Like you, there's no way you're not in love with this set when you're in the deck building phase. That's true. Just don't don't get to the playing games phase or that's, looking at tournament results phase. Yes, that's where things can go very, very wrong. So enjoy it while you can. And, and you know, maybe maybe it will be fine. Maybe everything will go well and all of this will play out uh, in a completely normal fashion. And this will look silly, but definitely enjoy that deck building phase because it is very, very fun. Yeah. Uh, D&D. Yeah, a little bit less uh, to talk about here, but still this is uh, maybe applicable to a little bit more of our audience. Certainly the arena side of the arena deckless fan base will want right. to know more about the D&D set. How much D&D experience do you have? Like, is this set going to make any sense to you? I have. I, I wish we were doing this live because I'd pan over to my bookshelf. I have every 5th edition D, D book on my bookshelf presently i have completed my collection i have them all uh i have read many of them uh finished some of them 
I have never played a single moment of Dungeons and Dragons in my life. Okay. Yeah, I might have asked you this already. This sounds familiar. I think the game is fascinating. I think I love reading about the world and understanding the rules. And there's just like a lot of cool aspects to uh, the Dungeons and Dragons universe that I really like. And maybe I would like playing the game too if I had the right uh, gaming crew around me. But I have never had that thus far in my life. So I haven't experienced Dungeons and Dragons. Listen. When we were both in Washington, yes. I kept trying to introduce you to people. Right. And it it just, it never worked out. Right. Well, you see, those are other people, Gerald, and that would require me to meet them and have social interactions. My that, ideal that's gaming how crew. You get, that's how you get a group, oh, Ryan. I, I understand. But my ideal gaming crew is just like six me's cloned around the table. And as I say that, actually, I would hate that. That sounds absolutely miserable. I don't want to hang out with myself for that long. So That's I, a long I don't time. Know, yeah, I don't actually know what my ideal gaming crew is maybe like a group of raccoons that somehow understands dungeons and dragons i I could get down with that but it's it's a lot for me to be in the dungeons and dragons environment like i think it's a very uh active social um, overwhelming environment for someone like me and that's what's driven me away from it and i tend to like more quiet contemplative games and i don't think that's what dungeons and dragons is for the most part but in moments where i do feel 100% comfortable and i can really let go i could see myself appreciating dungeons and dragons there's just a very select group of people that i ever really reach that level of comfort with so i don't know that i'm ever going to be able to uh get together the the ideal crew word I, I I tried. I believed that we could have made that happen, not not kind of like ignorantly or anything, but I genuinely believed that with all the good people that were in or around Renton, like a lot of the people that you know do work in game design and stuff like that, uh, definitely a lot of them from Wizards. But it's just like them, their friends, just so many like-minded, cool people that. I just refuse to believe that we could not have found a group of people for you. Yeah, I, I don't even think you're wrong. It's just part, like the hugest hurdle is just getting me to physically leave my house. Yeah, so. I know. I know. I got you to go to the goose a few times. <laughs> That's you know? true. Well, the goose is a special place. Uh, I don't I don't think anyone has any idea what the goose is, but the, the tots and grilled cheese is magical. Yeah, I mean, if you know, you know, right? There's yes. <laughs> there's going to be like two people who listen to the <laughs> podcast who know what the goose is. Right. Anyway, uh, yeah, this this D&D set, I, I'm going to be able to pick up some stuff, but very, very little. And it's only going to be things that, I don't know, I've, I've heard from people who play D&D. Or, like, I, I sat on the couch a lot of the times when there were sessions happening in my house. And I'd always be like, do you want to play? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here silently and judge you. No, I mean, less judging, you know, like a lot of it was, wow, they they really seem like they're having fun and I'm happy for them. And Mm -hmm. I think that they would probably have less fun if I played. If you were involved. So (laughs) this is just perfect, you know? Yeah, I I definitely get how people are just like, okay, but that dude sitting on the couch and not playing is like pretty weird. And like maybe I made some people uncomfortable or whatever, but, you know. Just just because they don't they don't understand. They don't get it. And I understand that. Yeah. No, I, I feel you. I I like oftentimes if I'm in a house of a bunch of people playing magic, I would prefer to just watch people play magic than actually participate. Yeah. I, I think that's fine. 
Anyway, uh, we we have some new cards, and honestly, they like seem pretty reasonable, right? Like, I, uh, I think one is very good, actually. Uh, portable hole dub That's the one, yeah, dub artifact. When this enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls with mana value two or less until this leaves the battlefield. Glass casket and baffling end always you know, like they made the cut right, but they didn't feel good. And for the most part, this feels pretty good. I, it's way more versatile, right? Like we're hitting any non-land permanent. That's a significant upgrade. The cost is that we're going down to two mana as opposed to three, but we're also only paying one mana for this. And I think that's a really, really good rate of return for a removal spell. And I've talked a bunch about how I wish white did more with removal. I think it could stand to have quite a bit better removal uh, this is probably some of the best of it we've seen in quite some time. I, I really like this card and I'm happy to see it here. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I read this and was kind of shocked that they would print something that yeah. is this strong, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities, right? Like this is not that strong in a vacuum. It is just stronger than we have had, especially from white. So, well, see, this is like, this is why I always make the argument that this is the side of things that should be pushed more than like Omnath or Oko because you make this card really good. And I think the game just stays interesting regardless of how good this card is. Like you could push this to, to mana value three and it's way too good at that point. But like the game doesn't go completely off the rails. Yeah, And I, I just really like empowering removal like this. I think it leads to more back and forth. Now, of course, you get into a weird spot where like every card carries value with it. And then you you can't ever afford to remove anything. But the way you counteract that is by getting ahead on tempo. And I think that's why it's so important for the removal spells to cost one mana and still be playable. And this absolutely clears that bar. It's also going to be huge in older formats where the mana costs trend lower anyway. Agreed. Uh, in the case of Omnath, Oko, stuff like that, I think people are more likely to get excited by the prospect of doing things with those cards versus like, Oh, I'm so excited to just like kill my opponent's fervent champion or whatever. This is like this thing that kind of doesn't even matter, but you're just doing yeah. it for tempo. So I, I agree with that assessment, but I think you can get them excited at higher mana costs. That's what I always come back to. Like if they're excited to sure. do that thing, they don't necessarily need it to be ruthlessly efficient. Like if you give me Omnath at five mana or Oko at four mana, I definitely am still interested in those cards and trying to make them work. Look, people were not even excited about Omnath at four mana uh we were we were excited we were but i dude i got last pick for what to write about and, <laughs> I, got I, and I got to do all math i was like wait really did i miss something did no one shotgun this card yeah well sometimes it just all breaks in your favor i mean janelle knew it was broken and yeah, i should just listen to exactly. her exactly well i mean she should just tell me what to write about then have her read through the preview so that i have a no, good she, she won't rate. even do that for me it's it's not gonna work yeah i try i try and get her to do all my work it's just not working next up well she's overworked anyway that's true. Next up, power word kill. 1B instant destroy target, non-angel, non-demon, non-devil, non-dragon creature. This is probably pretty good. Probably. Especially in older formats. But obviously, context matters a lot. There's going to be some of these creature types in the set. If Whether or not they're good, who knows. Um, also, <laughs> a thing that has kind of come up lately with the Tainted Pack decks in Historic is like, I've been excited for future sets to get different named removal spells or counter spells or card drawing. And I don't think that that deck is going to last long, but 
in in that sense uh looking at stuff like that i'm like yeah i'd play that in dana Pact and like cut i don't know heartless act over it maybe yeah i i think that's a good assessment uh it'll almost certainly if that deck is still around see play in that context doesn't kill mayhem devil i guess if that matters but it whatever. does i mean I, I, these are real weaknesses this is a very uh, wide swath of creatures you're covering and i feel like it's just going to come up at annoying times for you but it's all going to be contextual and if you can find good formats for this it it is there on rate for sure prosperous innkeeper 1g 1 1 halfling citizen when this enters the battlefield create a treasure token whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control you gain one life this is two mediocre abilities that will likely lead to it being played. Yeah, I I think you could find several homes for this card, and it's pretty innocuous and an underwhelming card uh, on its face, but you just need a critical mass of these effects, and then all these life gain decks start to really go off in a lot of instances. And when you add a treasure to it, uh, you're, you're getting closer to your four mana play on turn three. That's a, usually a pretty big deal, especially in these historic decks, which are doing the life gain stuff. They are almost all collected company decks yep. so this will play very well with collected company yeah do you I, want more soul wardens or i guess this yeah, is this yeah. is only your control. only your side only yeah. your side yeah it's a little limited but i think that's absolutely fine especially given the context of those decks and uh heck and jen in the chat makes a good point how good is wily goblin alongside the goblin deck I mean, yeah i was great. i was gonna mention that too it's where that sort of thing is definitely playable. It just depends on what you're actually ramping into or what you're doing with it. And I don't know, we're getting more and more treasure synergies, right? So eventually there's mm -hmm. something. No, that's a good point. There's things like uh, Galazeth around. And if you've been playing, I, I guess, any format on Arena recently, uh, you've, you've probably gotten some more treasures than you're used to with Magma Opus around and Galazeth Prismari and Goldspan Dragon. And I, I think... I hope you're starting to see the impact of reliably getting a treasure on turn two and how much it changes your game plan and how real cards some cards become when you're able to move them up a turn in the curve. Yeah, uh, I mean, it definitely matters a lot. And uh, one of the newer innovations in Standard has been like the Gruul sort of treasure-focused adventures deck with like Magna mm -hmm. and Rimrock Knight and Chariot yeah. and stuff like that. And it's like, well, maybe there's this, there's uh gadrak still uh you mentioned galavzeth so there's probably gonna be more stuff too this isn't just gonna be it i i don't know if the life gain stuff is super relevant in standard outside of righteous valkyrie like i mean speaker of the heavens exists but is not that good mm -hmm. in my mm -hmm. experience but maybe we'll see yeah, we'll have to track it. I mean, there there were some seeds planted for life gain stuff. One of the cards I, I keep mentioning is the the pump spell. Uh plus yeah. xx uh equal to life that you've gained this turn and you gain two life so there's some seeding uh in strixhaven and i think that card is also just like very powerful it's not necessarily like this effect you're looking for there but if there are ways to gain large amounts of life you could keep track of that card as well right uh tiamat two and wooberg seven mana total seven seven legendary creature dragon god flying when this enters the battlefield if you cast it Search your library for up to five dragon cards not named Tiamat that each have different names. Reveal them, put them in your hand, then shuffle. This is probably just a big uh, 
flavorful EDH card that folks in that space will be super excited about. I don't think this one is for us. I mean, there's just way better. You know, like you have Niv, or excuse me, uh, Niv Mizzet right now that you can just play. I almost called it Niv Magus. You have you have Niv Magus on the brain. I guess so. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think this is really uh, for the spiky constructed side of things, but a pretty card, cool card. I'm sure folks are excited about it. I don't know, man. You give me five dragons that don't currently exist, and and maybe if you get to create your own dragons, you can get uh, changelings. Does that do anything for you? Probably not. Okay. Mirror entity. You probably get some kind of combo. I bet if you can just get five dragons. I I doubt it. I mean, an expensive combo, but you already paid seven mana for Tiamat, so who cares? Yeah. Uh oh, and one more. Vorpal Sword. B artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two plus O oh, and has death touch. Uh equips for BB, and you can pay five BBB, eight mana total. Until end of turn, this gains whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. I don't mind this as just the equipment, and you just kind of ignore the win the game text. Yep. Yeah, I think that's going to be mostly flavor text until it's not. And it, it will win games if this is in your deck. And obviously, this requires an intense commitment to black. But I think once you've made that commitment, this card is pretty strong. Uh, and you, you'd happily play it in several of the mono black aggressive decks that we've seen in the past. Maybe not in huge numbers. I don't think this is like a focal point of those decks. But there's a lot of spots where plus 2-0 and death touch. Uh, it just makes everything into a very serious threat. So I'm pretty into this card uh, in limited spots, and I think it matters way more for the equipment side than the more flashy uh, win the game ability. Yeah, like I don't think it's a lock that this card is going to see play or anything, but it's like the the numbers, the rate, all that, all look pretty reasonable to me. So if this yep. is something that you're interested in, then cool. Yeah, this is really nice with like uh, just recursive threats that are generally underwhelming in and of themselves and can get brick walled pretty effectively. You know, things like the rarely seen fair blood ghast or uh skyclave <laughs> shade i i think this plays really nicely with when we were playing fair blood ghast you could also stoneforge mystic uh you could yeah and i I'm, usually I chose to, to stoneforge mystic so smart so yeah, smart i think so one of the few times i got it right uh i want to check in with you those that's it for cards that we can actually play did you see the art preview though of like the uh the original D&D Beholder with the really fine line drawings and all that. Yeah, I don't get it. What does this okay. do? Well, we don't know what the card does, but I love this art style. Like this, this recalls to me some of the original vibes I got from Magic for sure. And I, ho I hope there's some really cool pieces like this. Oh, I'm sure there will be. Uh, they're they're definitely interested into tapping into the like nostalgia and mm -hmm. all the stylistic elements from the crossover and stuff like you it would be a big mistake if they did not try to tap into that as much as possible right oh yeah yeah i think they want to make uh if i was leading this set one of my goals would be i want people who have zero interest in playing magic like they they are not going to come on board we lost them they're never going to pick up this game we just have to accept that but if they're big enough Dungeons and Dragons fan, I want them to still want this product. I want them to care enough about the things being represented and the art pieces and everything going on that they are still interested in what we're doing here.
Yeah, especially if it's like, okay, maybe they try the game, but even if they don't, they still want to own this because it, it looks badass and like this is the thing that they like and enjoy. Right. And like, that sounds a little weird. I think if you're an entrenched magic boy, like why would you do that? But I'm thinking of like the Final Fantasy card game. Like I, I bought a pack. It didn't really do that for me, but I'm like, I wanted to see what it was. And if it had spoken to me on some real level, maybe I would be like, oh, I just want these cards because I like this stuff. I I have a lot of the Final Fantasy TCG stuff. Okay, so they got you. It worked for you. Have you played the game? The game is actually like, I, I don't want to say good but it is interesting it has a rules engine that i have never seen before or considered okay and so like me uh andrew veen and michael majors played a decent amount for like a couple months interesting um and do you know the status of that game now is it, is it still ongoing it's still ongoing i mean their their organized play stuff is like uh everything ca- uh like ends with like a world's you know, yeah. at the end of the year, but they don't have like pro tours or like great prizes or anything like that. Okay. I know, I know like Hunter Nance played a lot. Interesting. Uh, maybe I'll take a look at that someday. I'll at least read the rule book if you're, if you're intrigued by the rules. Uh, that's kind of stuff was always interesting to me. So I could try and explain it. Um, but I'm not, I'm not gonna let you draw two cards a turn, you cast your lands, and you can discard any card for two mana of that color. Okay. It's it's bizarre, dude. That's a, that sounds bizarre, but I could see like if that's your system, I could see some ways to lean into it and have it be interesting. So yeah. But yeah, obviously I've played almost every Final Fantasy game. There was a period where I had played every single one, but then it's like a oh, world of Final Fantasy and you know stuff like that. I'm just like, okay, I guess I don't know who all these characters are now, but whatever. I played World of Final Fantasy. It was uh medium, very medium. Yeah, see, that's the problem. It's like I I want to play it. I want it to be good, but it just looks like it's not. So no, it's it's entirely medium. And you've never played Final Fantasy fourteen either, right? Uh correct. But now, at least because of <laughs> the TCG, I know a lot of the characters. All right. Like I, uh, you, you know, it's on like PS five with a really good version, and it's st- it's still a really good game. And now your thing was always like, oh, if I play an MMO, I'll get sucked into it. That was always your excuse. Now having been fully sucked in to Genshin Impact, which is essentially like an action MMO, is how I would term it. It's like MMO addiction fueling, right? Or like yeah. they're they're capitalizing on that aspect where it's like log I, in I every think so. day, whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's designed to do a lot of the same stuff. I, I think you should at least give final fantasy 14 a look the demo that's available i'm not being paid by square i don't know why i'm shilling for them so hard but the demo that's available on ps5 you get to play like the entirety of the main story quest and the entire first expansion so you you legitimately get like 100 hours of play for free so there's zero cost to just trying it and seeing if you like it okay i mean it i i am definitely interested in playing the story quest because i've heard the story stuff is good it is it's very good um but in in the same vein of like not wanting to get sucked in it's like oh well now that you've been sucked into an mmo thing why don't you try a second mmo just just add all of them pile them on dude this is not it's not good it's not right anyway yeah but i feel like you you've made it through this mmo addiction you're you're still here you're still kicking now granted you've been locked in your house for a year and a half yeah i'm I'm not i'm (laughs) i am not all right point taken yeah, I, I, who was I talking to? Like Kanye, maybe, where we're like playing 
Genshin occasionally. And it's like, yeah, you know, I think when things return to normal or like get pretty close to returning to normal, I might have to give up one of my Genshin accounts. <laughs> Just one, huh? Yeah. Okay. So there's we'll no see. time for that anymore. I'm, I'm not going to have enough time, right? So. Yeah, I, I will definitely have to take a look at my gaming habits as well. Uh, too many, I, I have too many like full commitment games in both Magic and TFT, which require uh, a lot of knowledge and attention. And then I'm still just playing like every interesting game that comes out on top of it. So some, some things got to change eventually. Well, I, I would much rather get back to normalcy and skip a bunch of the games. Because also during the pandemic, I played a lot of bad games. Mm. yeah i think all of our entertainment is like taking that slow downward path like i've been watching so many bad animes and i'm like i never used to be like this i would laugh at show who's like yeah i watched this anime it was terrible don't watch it and i'm like well, why did you watch it and he, he doesn't have an answer for you he's just like i just did and now i'm starting to do the same thing so yeah that that still doesn't get me it's just like sometimes you want to have something to criticize a little bit and yeah, you just want to feel something, and, right? Yeah, yeah, feel superiority, I guess. Bryce M wants to know, what is the Arena Decklist stance on Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles? I have not played that one. I know that they, they just did a remake, right? And it seemed to be pretty universally panned, which I was disappointed by because I, I was thinking that would be my chance to play it. Okay, I have to Google this because there are so many like weirdo spinoffs. This is the one I think you needed like four Game Boys linked together to be able to play as intended. Uh... Okay. If I recall correctly. Um, and then they, they relaunched it for Switch, and I'm like, oh, perfect. You play it online, it'll probably be awesome. And I remember just being absolutely trashed. All right. I think I played the DS version for a little bit. So it looks like it's not a huge hit, Bryce. There, there is some vague recognition of it and uh, some talk of its, oh, of its gimmick. But No, I did not play this one. I've never played this. Okay. Well, apparently don't play the Switch version. It's not supposed to be good. Yeah, this was the GameCube one that needs four Game Boys. Come on. <laughs> Why? Also, presumably you need four friends, right? And it's just like, or three friends. That's not yeah. happening. Uh, huge ask. Huge M ask. Mystic Quest. Mystic Quest, when I played it the first time, I was like, this is garbage. And then as the years went on, I just fondly remembered that game for its simplicity and how much stuff it actually did right. And I actually replayed it at some point and it held up really well. Uh, I think Mystic Quest is awesome. Even though when I played it the first time, it, the, the problem was that it wasn't my introduction RPG, right? Like I had already mm. played a lot of Final Fantasies up to that point. But yeah, Mystic Quest is very good. Isn't, isn't Mystic Quest another game reskinned or am I thinking of something else? Like, I feel like it came from another franchise and they, they reskinned it to be a Final Fantasy game. I may be mistaken about that. Uh, I don't know about that. Okay. I, I do think that they were just like, we, like RPGs are too complicated. So we're, we're just going to really, really dumb it down, but kind of keep a lot of the same elements. Uh, it was like, you know, Starter or Portal or whatever. Right. Yeah, I, I have some general beefs with the whole Starter Portal concept, but... Uh, I can see why when you go back in time and play older games, it's always the simplicity that sticks out, right? Like you need just good, simple gameplay loops because anything that's supposed to be complicated at the time just is obtuse when you look back at it now. Oh, uh, Bugen says that Mystic Quest was made for the US, which, yeah, kind of uh, makes sense. Yep, I could see that. 
Uh, HUD says FF Tactics Advance is the only good FF game. Well, Tactics Advance is good. It is definitely not the only good FF game. It also, I, I don't know why people love the the GBA Tactics game so much. The, like the original, the original FF Tactics was good. Tactics Ogre was awesome. The advanced games were sort of in that Mystic Quest vibe, but not really. It was like we're going to make it kind of simple, but also they did like some roguelike elements where like every battle you had like these random laws where it's like you cast ice, you lose or whatever. Mm. I vaguely remember that. I, I think it's just an exposure thing, honestly. Like the install base for Game Boy was so huge back then. And not to say like the original PlayStations wasn't, but for whatever reason, it just seems like uh, most people, when there's a chance to experience thing on, things on Game Boy, that's where they experienced it. Yeah. Yep. And now... I wish that they could come out with like a new taxes game for mobile, but they actually did that and it was a they gotcha did. game. So rip. Yeah, but that's your jam now. You can just go. No, back it is maybe not my jam. It. I put up with it <laughs> because Genshin is a good Breath of the Wild game. That's why. Right, 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 right. Anyway. What else do we have to talk about, Gerald? Do we want to do we want to touch in on some formats? Well, okay, we have to at least touch in on sealed before we go. Uh, you do that. You do that. Okay, play your lessons, open environmental sciences, Godspeed and good luck. That's all I have to offer you. Honestly, I, I don't love the sealed format. And one of the things that we decided on, uh, probably much to our uh, <laughs> lack of success, is that we were always going to make the podcast we wanted to make. We were never going to try and do things just because we thought they would uh, be popular. And we always wanted to love what we were doing. and neither one of us really loves the Strixhaven format, the sealed format. I, I like the last time I was very willing to drag Jerry through it because I think a lot of people appreciated call time sealed and I kind of enjoyed it where I don't love the format. I'm not going to successfully drag him through an entire show on it. I think a lot of people have put out really good articles. Uh, Sam Black's article on star city was a nice intro piece. If, if you're looking for uh, a good guide, I also think like, the 17 lands data is extremely, extremely useful because there is sealed data as well. So you can go ahead and take a look at that. I would be aware of all of that stuff and just know it's a very card advantage, heavy format due to the prevalence of the lessons and lessons are kind of everything. Are we at a point where you can input your sealed deck and then they tell you what colors you should play based on like the rankings of the cards that you open? I don't think it does anything like that. But given that all the data they have, it seems very easy to take that leap, at least from like a conceptual standpoint. I don't know what the actual programming is like, but uh, it, it's just kind of matching up the cards you have to perceived win rates. And obviously, like if you wanted to get super complicated with it, you could do like correlating win rates and win rates and appearance together. And maybe you could even make an AI at some point that could build your sealed deck for you. But uh, as it stands now, 17 lands is going to do a lot of the work for you. RNR wants to know, is there anything specifically to talk about with sealed in general if they already know the draft format? <sighs> There's some shifting evaluations i i mean i i guess i would say i i think lessons are even more important in the sealed format and it, it's weird because you always get them and you don't have to play the game fighting around them um but beyond that i, I think the two formats actually track somewhat similarly and 
I just don't feel like there, there's enough useful information for me to give on this topic where I could really point you in the right way. So I, I will defer to people who are into the sealed format and doing the reps. Uh, in my experience, I don't think there's a tremendous difference between the two formats. I guess going back to what you said about wanting to do things that we enjoy, I don't think that that's necessarily always been the case for certainly for me, but also for both of us, where it's like, if there is a tournament coming up in a format that we're not enjoying or a format that we know is going to be irrelevant in a couple of weeks because of bands that were inevitable, something like that, it's, we kept powering through it despite it sort of being like suffering, you know? Let me tell you why I think that was. And you, you are welcome to refute this point if you don't think this was it. I think we were able to successfully do that because we knew that the majority of our fan base was invested in organized play and was trying to achieve a specific goal. They wanted to win their PTQ. They wanted to do well at a GP coming up. They wanted to uh, achieve on the Star City Tour. And because of that, we were willing to go down that road. And that, in turn, is what we enjoyed. We enjoyed helping people accomplish their goals and do special things. I would not have the same feeling about helping someone win $2,000 in the arena open. Cause I don't like, I'm sure it like matters and like, it's good. And I want people to have that excitement, but it's not the same as seeing people achieve their dreams. It feels very, very different to me. Uh, that is exactly the reason why the online circuits for like SCG and insight and stuff like that just don't really work. Like there's no prestige right. attached and to it necessarily it's like yeah win five thousand dollars ten thousand who cares like yeah. it, it matters but also i don't know in the last few months it's like i've i've heard that you know this person has won this tournament or this satellite or it just it doesn't carry enough weight with it and no maybe, i go I ahead know. sorry yeah maybe it's just because there are like so many circuits happening there's not really an end goal for a lot of these circuits or whatever it's like yeah you won one tournament but like what does that say about like your pro level or whatever and yeah. it's yeah it's just kind of silly yeah so here's here's a counterpoint sandy dogs in our chat and he says scg leads to the pro tour pro tour leads to rivals you're 100 percent right sandy and like that should be influencing Technically uh, our perception true. of these things yeah but it does not feel the same way to me and i think a lot of people would say the same thing uh, maybe not all people. I, I'm not going to speak for everyone, you know, but I, I just don't feel like the same level of investment in that kind of achievement is there. And it, it's so frustrating. And now Sandy's next question is, how do you fix that? And that is the million dollar question. Great question. And I think that's got to be the priority of organized play over the next year. You have to rebuild that prestige and that desire to just achieve something that feels special. And you know, this complaint as it relates to the SCG tour, it's valid. And it's one of the reasons why I write the current article series I write. I wanted there to be an arena that was highlighting people's achievements and yeah. the unique decks that they were building. And like, I I am proud of doing that and I'm happy I can do that, but I, I can't do that alone. Like, I, I can't make it important that you want an scg tour just by me writing that one article it needs to be part of the collective consciousness scg that, scg did a great job of that with their broadcast that happened yes, almost weekly and they highlighted yep. 
the players that were consistently doing well. I think they were the best at it. I'll go that far. I think they were the best at making that happen when there was a live circuit. Granted, they had a lot of the same faces showing up week to week where if you have like a Grand Prix or uh, even, you know, like the Pro Tours, it's like it's Mm -hmm. there. There are the, the pool of great players is a lot wider and the people who you see at Grand Prix uh, is going to be different week to week and you have like different broadcast teams. So the narrative is not really the same. And then they started splitting up the pro tours into like regional pro tours too. So that had its own issue, but like SCG when it's like this confined space, mostly it's like East coast and it's a lot of the same broadcast teams, or at least like if you had the week off and you're watching Cedric Pisal, you're probably watching the broadcast and can pick up from their narrative or at least absolutely talk about the leaderboard and the stories that came out from last week and how that continues this week. And it was just so separate, uh, like towards the end of the pro club system. And especially now. Yeah, I think so. And there's a lot of folks in chat right now. I see fire shoes and Quinn are in there. They're mentioning how coverage is a big part of it. And I I think that's true. I I think coverage is important to making this happen, but it doesn't do it on its own. Cause if you remember when the SCG tour online started, we did coverage and it, it was the same coverage teams. It, it was Cedric and Pat were there. And then I, I took most of a season off, but uh, I came back. I did a show with majors and uh, I, I know like Emma was still doing the broadcast. So it was the same people building the same narratives, but you're right that it wasn't the same competitors. And that's what we were able to really leverage as the SCG tour, because we did work within a small geographical region where you could build those narratives and you can have the leaderboard. And it, it just didn't translate to the online space. And that was reflected in the viewership because the viewership was bad. I, I think like, I'm not going to speak for SCG because I don't know this for sure, but I'm sure they wanted to keep doing live broadcasts. I think that's a huge part of their identity and a huge part of their goal in the magic space. But if people don't show up to watch, you, you can't just throw money at the problem forever. And people were not showing up to watch, quite frankly. One of the things that's consistent among people who are trying to you know, stream or do YouTube, maybe not necessarily for a full-time living, but definitely for uh, a sizable portion of their income or whatever is like, you need to be consistent. And, mm-hmm. you know, for, for Twitch, you need to have a schedule YouTube. If you do daily uploads, that helps a lot with like the algorithm and growing your channel and stuff like that. And then when SCG eventually returns to doing live broadcasts, like they're going to have to build all of that back up again. So right. Yeah, it's it sucks. Uh, maybe that wasn't necessarily a thing that they were thinking of, where it's like, oh, we need to keep this going to keep our viewership numbers or whatever. But like, that's definitely going to have an impact across the board. Yeah. I, so again, I'm not going to speak for them, and I don't have inside information on this. If it were me, that would be a huge portion of my concern, especially when you don't know how long this pandemic is going to be. Because like, maybe there's a point early on where you're like, well, we need to take six months off, and then we'll come back, and we want to hit the ground running with good momentum, um, and and so I see trying to preserve it with the SCG tour online and, and trying to find like a stopgap. And I think there was even some consideration of like, how do you loop this into existing leaderboard? And when it ultimately became clear, everything was going to crumble and we weren't going to get live magic for a long time. A lot of that, uh, both incentive and inertia disappeared because you didn't know what you were fighting for anymore. Like how, what momentum are we preserving? We have no idea when we're even going to be able to offer this again. And, that's super scary uh, from a brand that's invested so much of their identity into making this really awesome product. So I, I get all the trepidation behind it. I get the idea that like there should be an easy fix to this and, oh, just highlight these names, but it wasn't working. And I think it's going to take a while before it works again. And there's got to be 
incentive and reinvestment. And I, and I hate to pay, put this responsibility solely on one party, but it's got to come from a party who has the financial stake in building that type of thing. And that's only ever going to be wizards. And a lot of data points to the fact that maybe they don't need to actually have that financial investment anymore to make no. the most money possible for magic. And that's a scary situation to be in if you're a magic player. Yeah, I think organized play, you know, the, the players who are participating in organized play kind of like carried that torch for magic for so long. And now that magic has gotten more popular, more widely adapted, there are a lot of people playing a lot of different, I, I don't want to say, again, casual formats, because that's definitely not the right term, right? Like there are people playing EDH who are way more hardcore than even me, right? And uh, BDM posited that's like a social way of playing Magic, right? And that that rings more true to me. So it's like if Wizards shifts towards catering towards more social ways to play Magic, that just makes sense to me. They are definitely the larger portion of the player base and... It just means that organized play kind of gets left out in the cold, which is understandable from a business perspective. But for us, it definitely sucks. Yeah, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed because I I certainly know how many of the people at Wizards just love competitive magic and want competitive magic to always be there and see it as a vital part of the game, even when maybe the business indicators aren't pointing it towards it being the most vital part of the game. But like you said, I think competitive magic carried the torch for the brand for a very long time and helped get it in the position where it could ultimately be this thing that is now more of a cultural touchstone and and really core uh, to the gaming identity, where it was this fringe thing for so many years. And we kept it afloat. I, I think you have to give the player base credit for that. And you never know the way the tides of culture and society are going to turn. And I would just keep those players in my back pocket. That would be my approach because I, I think it takes such a little investment to keep them happy. When you're talking about actual corporate scale investments, I, I think you could do so much with so little in the space. And I would always want that in my back pocket. It's just something to return to. And as a way of saying thank you, I think I, I think rewarding loyalty is is a really nice feature for a corporation to have. It's hard for a corporation to have endearing features, but re- rewarding loyalty is is at least a little step in the right direction. The closest to rewarding loyalty we're going to get is our daily quest on Arena. Mm, well, there is the uh, buy a box promo too. You get that old art fabled passage if you spend fifty dollars in a store. I mean, yeah, that's that's for like supporting a store, you know, mm. which which I think is cool. That is that is awesome. That is again like a very low investment thing that they can do to help stores out, and I, I think that that is great. They should do more of that. But you know, that's that's not really for like competitive players or whatever right no i'm with you on that point yeah you gotta you gotta keep the prestige i think the the new pro system you know new three years old whatever really takes away a lot of that because there was a lot of prestige and like well if you grinded a bunch you won a ptq you go to a pro tour, you do well, you get on the train, you win a pro tour, whatever, like there is prestige for that. But now it's like so much, you you have to put in like two, three years of work before you even get to, uh, you know, be in the MPL or whatever, right? It's like, you can still win uh, a pro tour, but it's 
you know, smaller stakes and you don't immediately just like become platinum or whatever. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's weird. Uh, I think they, they wanted to make it more prestigious, right. By having like this pro league right. and then by basically keeping everyone else out, it had the opposite effect. There's, there's no, nothing for people to really strive for. Like, yeah, you can, in theory, get to rivals, get to MPL, whatever, but it's, it's so difficult and so time consuming. A uh, point I made in the article I wrote a few weeks ago about organized play was that whether it was by virtue of my own delusion or not, I always felt like I was part of the Magic Pro scene. I, I wasn't a Magic Pro. I'd, I never held any status in a pro players club, but like I would occasionally show up at a pro tour, maybe do well. You I had some friends of, there? I had some friends. I think a bunch of people around the scene knew me and it it felt like my scene. It felt like I was part of it. And I knew it and I owned it and uh, it felt bigger and exciting. And now professional magic doesn't feel that way to me. And I I think that's the biggest loss. Uh, Shared experience helps a lot. Game? Game. Good luck.